0: Welcome back, everybody, for episode. I guess this is episode seven now, isn't it, Stacy? Mm-hmm. Episode seven of Holler Back Podcast. Uh, I'm Michael, and I'm Stacy. And today we have an awesome guest with us, Dr. Chris Preston. Uh, she's a good friend and an incredible person. And I'll give her some time to introduce herself and let you know what she's about. Hi there.
1: Um, thanks, you guys, Michael and Stacy, for having me today. Really appreciate this. Um, I think it's gonna be a lot of fun. Uh, I am um, Chris Preston. I grew up as a Bailey, Chris Bailey, um, in Johnson County. I'm from a little tiny community called Keaton. And uh, that's kind of in the Lawrence County, Morgan County line area. Um, my husband uh, is also from that area of Redbush, Kentucky, if you've heard of that little part of the world. Um, we both graduated from the University of Kentucky and with our undergrad degrees Um, he went on from there, uh, to Auburn and I stayed and went to University of Kentucky College of Pharmacy and graduated, uh, with my BS in pharmacy from there in 95. And then I went back in 2003 and did my doctor pharmacy degree, um, from there. So I practiced as a clinical pharmacist for, I did that for 20 years um, so I most, mostly worked hospital pharmacy, um, which is kind of an area of pharmacy that people don't think of when they think of pharmacists. And then I specialized in critical care medicine, so I mostly did work in the ICU. Uh, it was very intense. I loved it. Um, I had um, really great experiences uh, doing that. Um, and most of that work I've done at, at Pikeville Medical Center. And I've heard you guys on your podcast talk about um, when I left Appalachia, I never wanted to come back. <laughs> I said, you know, I'm getting out of here kind of thing. And I don't know if I really said that, but I never really thought I would come back either. And, um, so, you know, I definitely, I worked at, uh, a couple of larger hospitals like Central Baptist in Lexington. Medical Center at Bowling Green, but it was amazing how when I came back here and uh, found uh, Pikeville Medical Center that actually it was much more progressive as a hospital, and my uh, opportunities were were much greater than they were even in you know big quote big city hospitals. So um, I really found some wonderful opportunities there, and you know never never regretted coming back here uh, at all. It's been a Um, A wonderful place to live and work. Um, About five years ago, I transitioned from uh, hospital work into academia, um, and I'm an assistant professor of pharmacy practice now at Appalachian College of Pharmacy, which is not in Kentucky, but it's really close. We're um, near Grundy, Virginia, so uh, if you're here in Pikeville, it's an hour and 20-minute drive, tops. So just, you know, over the state line in Buckhannon County. And um, that's, that's what I've been doing for, for the past little bit.
0: And Chris isn't just a, a pharmacist, and if that can be a jest, she is also an incredible musician and knower of all music. <laughs> I think I told <laughs> Stacey that if, if I have a question about anything music related, if I need to know who, you know, wrote a song or what album it's done, Chris is about an an exhaustive, uh, library of music information and, and, uh, and knowledge. So, um, Chris, talk to us a little bit about your, your work in music and and what, uh, music means to you.
1: Okay. I appreciate that. Yes. I I have, uh, a lot of useless music trivia knowledge. (laughs) It will get me nowhere, but, um, yeah. So, uh, I also play, um, in a couple of bands. Um, mainly in an all-female bluegrass band called Coaltown Dixie, and uh, I started with this band. Um, we formed about 11 years ago, um, and we're unique in the fact that we are uh, an all-female bluegrass band. That's kind of uncommon, um, but I I'd always, you know, like Michael said, I've always loved music, and, you know, I grew up listening to You know, mostly rock, and at some point um, around my senior year of high school, I kind of got turned on to bluegrass. And um, actually, when I was at University of Kentucky, I um, worked at uh, WRFL. The student station there has the bluegrass radio show on Saturday mornings, Blue Yodel Number Nine. And I had done um, my part-time job since I was a teenager was uh, as a DJ. I worked at WSIP in Paintsville. That was my first job. And, um, so when I came to UK, I had that opportunity and it was, it was really neat because at that time and I, I, I'm going to really show my age here, unfortunately, but <laughs> there was not internet, there was not, um, uh, satellite radio. So we, we had a large audience for that bluegrass radio show. You know, we we had little old men from, you know, far and wide calling in and requesting songs because they, they weren't able to hear that kind of music on the radio. Most other places, Stanton always had a good station, um, maybe one up around Georgetown. That was about it. So, so I had, um, you know, that was an enjoyable way to, um, You know, have fun with the music that I loved, and I didn't start playing music until when I was in pharmacy school. There, I I got, I came into playing very late. Um, Moved back here to Pikeville, and um, met Stephanie May Rose, uh, the bass player and co-founder of the band. She was the pharmaceutical rep, and so she would visit me on the job, and we realized we had a mutual love of bluegrass. She always wanted to start an all-female band. I was dead set against doing anything like that. I said no for several years. Um, But I'd started taking some lessons and kind of amping up my game and got a little more confidence. I play mandolin um, almost exclusively. Um, And I would say to anybody who, you know, thinks about wanting to play something, it's never too late to start that. And also look, look to your local music shops. We've got some great ones, you know, back in this part of the state and usually they'll have, you know, really good instructors there. So uh, I did that. And um, uh, so we've, you know, when we started as a band, um, there weren't that many females in, in bluegrass music. It's changed so much in a really short period of time, but we were kind of a novelty there for a bit. We probably weren't the best band on, on a, festival bill but they needed some females and (laughs) they put us on but by with within a few years that changed so much um and like I was looking back and we played a festival outside of Louisville and just a few years ago Vine Grove and there was an all-female band who played right after us and that that was almost unheard of that there would even be two two all-female bands at a festival let alone you know playing back to back but it was interesting when we formed, you know, we we were looking for other pickers, other female musicians, and we had such difficulty finding them here. We put ads on Craigslist. We put flyers up in music shops. And I think if we were doing that now, if I were forming a band now, I could find plenty of performers, you know, especially young female performers easily. Um, but at that time there didn't seem to be as many. And I don't know why, because I, you know, we're kind of this, this hotbed of, you know, great music, country bluegrass music in this area, but we had a hard, hard time finding, uh, you know, musicians to play with. But once how I did was I went to um, the mountain arts center uh, that has front porch picking, which is like a um, open mic type of thing. And I found the only other two females who were there that night, which was Melanie Turner uh, and Kalen Bradford. And I just sat beside them and stalked them out in the parking lot and said, we're forming a band. <laughs> well, you know, come with us. And, and so, you know, we're
0: getting they, a band you know, together instead of we're getting the band back together. We're, we're getting a band together. together to start with.
1: <laughs> yeah. And it, and it just kind of worked out. We've had the same original members. We've, we've played with some younger fiddle players through the years. And, um, uh, Natalie Tomlinson uh, uh, out of Harlan, Ivy Phillips out of Nashville, um, but uh, that's it's been a really it's been a really uh, interesting experience, um, and uh, being in again in in kind of a, a male dominated field, it's been eye opening. But w- we have been very self sufficient. We created our own website. We do our own booking, um, all of that. So uh, you know, we joke and say, we say who, we say when, <laughs> and, <laughs> um, but uh, one thing that, um, I'm proud of, I'm proud of a lot of things that we've done, but there's a thing here called East Kentucky Strong, the East Kentucky Strong conference that they started a few years ago at University of Pockville, but it's for high school, I think it's juniors, um, women, all, all high school, um, uh, juniors who are females come and for the day, they can go to workshops and um, hear speakers and um, performers. And the purpose is to surround these girls with positive female role models. Mm-hmm. And you know, to provide them with resources and opportunities and you know, remind them that the sky's the limit for what they can do. And we've been really honored to be guest speakers and performers at that for, I think, the last three years now. And so to be able to use our music in a positive way to influence and inspire young girls has that's not what we set out to do or what we thought we were going to do. But young girls and young kids have seemed to kind of flock to us for whatever reason, you know, maybe just because they see other females playing. And that's been, um, you know, a really nice perk from this. Something we're really, really proud
0: of.
2: Yeah, and I think that something important is, number one, you looking at it like it's kind of like icing on the cake, you getting to be a role model um, for younger female musicians. Um, and earlier when you said that, you know, you and your bandmates, you say when and you say how and you kind of get the final say, I think that's a really good segue into our next question. Um So, Appalachia and our little corner of Appalachia specifically has an incredible local music scene, as you know, we are all aware, and probably our listeners are too. Um, But, how would you describe it to folks who usually don't split from mainstream artists? Uh, Most people have this idea that Appalachian music is, you know, the Soggy Bottom Boys and Yeehaw, and that's great, and there's nothing wrong with that, but you know, there's much more to the message here. So, um, what would you, how would you describe what we have to folks who usually, who really don't know about it?
1: Okay. That's a great question. Um, you know, I think, that, like I say, I think the music scene here has changed so much for the better in even the last few years we so we have so many more people who are now playing. Um, and maybe that's with, you know, social media that we see, we see different musicians, you know um advertising their shows and so forth but we have more places to play you know when I when I when my band first started we were booking festivals you know in other states and farther away because um, we didn't really have places to play here and now you know here in Pikeville you've got Bank 253 you've got Dueling Barrels um even the farmer's markets you go to Prestonsburg there's Brick House or City Park. you go to Paintsville there's um Smoking Butts and some different you know places that have really opened up and I think um, welcomed and and begun to appreciate the good musicianship that's here so the 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 music scene in Kentucky you know that there are so many um, good artists and good festivals that are right here where you don't have to travel um, you know very far to go see these artists that we you know we all have right here and Um, the community of artists are so supportive of each other, but then there's this whole other community of supporters of the music that um, are such a big part of it too. And you'll see, um, you know, you may go to different music shows, um, you know, at different venues like in Lexington or um, Manchester or wherever you may go to festivals and you'll see, you know, some of these same, um people who are coming and supporting maybe some of them are photographers um there's a a, a good friend a, a gentleman that a lot of kentucky artists know named roger combs who has got his own following and his own fan page now <laughs> yes. um and he RC. doesn't play rc roger combs um and the the fan pages we love roger combs and and everyone does he's just um this really sweet gentleman who uh, you'll see at um, if if it's a cool show and a good show, uh, you you'll know it for sure if you see Roger there. I guess. Yeah, he's a
0: he's a, a good a good source of information. If if Rogers going to a show, you probably ought to go too.
1: <laughs> no doubt, no doubt. And he keeps a list. He you know he has. You can ask him. I think you've done this, Michael. Oh yes,
0: he has uh, it written out in his pocket at all times. Right. His his live music schedule is written out and prepared. He knows exactly where he's going to be exactly what night of the week. And it's no fewer than four nights a week. I mean, obviously he is, he has to be struggling right now because staying cooped up in his house is not in his DNA, but in a normal uh, month, it's, I'd say at least 20 nights. He's seeing something live.
1: Oh yeah. And sometimes it's more than one band in a night, you know, he, oh, yeah. he see a, a show in Lexington and then hop over to Georgetown or Cincinnati or who knows. Yeah. You don't need an app like uh, bands in town or whatever to know uh, what show you should go see. Just check, okay. check and see the Let's list. See. He has in his pocket. <laughs> <laughs> but that's just, you know, another beautiful thing about like, uh, I keep using the word community, but it really is about the music. Mm-hmm in our area and um, you know it's nice to meet people and make friends like that that then you see it see it at other festivals and um, you know it's, it's like family mm-hmm. um, another thing that uh, I like is um, in the, the music scene so to speak I find that everybody's really supportive of each other um, maybe more so here than just strictly in, in bluegrass um, where everybody's trying to be a hotter picker than the next one you know, here, like, I, I not only play with coltown Dixie, but uh, I play with a really great singer songwriter out of Floyd County named Waylon Nelson and his band. Um, and he kind of picked me up because he needed some mandolin on one of his recordings. Mm-hmm. But uh, the, the other members of his band also all play in like three other bands. <laughs> you know, ev- everybody kind of dabbles and helps each other. And uh, I think that that's really refreshing. But, you know, I've thought about, you know, why, why, why is so much good music coming out of this area? Um, Why do we have so many performers who've, who've made it and then so many more that are just as good sitting on a front porch somewhere. And uh, I, I think it's because we don't care so much about genres maybe anymore. We've got like a real melding of, of genres here and, but we've all, we all have a shared experience. You know, if, if you don't like Chris Stapleton's style, but you hear him talking about the blue side of the mountain where the sun don't ever shine, you know, as Eastern Kentuckians or Appalachians, we can relate to that. We, we know, we know what that, you know, dark side of the mountain that gets barely gets sun looks like. Um, Tyler Childers sings about, you know, I got women up and down this Creek. Well, we, we know he's up a hauler somewhere. Cause we know that creeks and streams usually, you know, run, up every holler here, mm-hmm. and you know we we can all share that experience. And you know Ian knows singing about the frustration of the drug addicts in his neighborhood. We've you know we we've, we've had that too. Um, but I think that uh, I think as I think that Appalachian songwriters, you know, most all of the musicians you hear these days in this area are writing their own songs as well and Mm -hmm. my band has done the same thing we're really proud of that mainly that's because most bluegrass songs had been written from a male perspective and we didn't like that perspective Uh, most of the women in traditional bluegrass songs die horrible deaths um you know they're they're drowned and they're um hitting the head and whatever and that's not what we wanted to sing about. So we wrote our own songs. But I think so many artists, you know, like like the Tyler Childers and so forth that we have today, it's it's because, you know, we we have stories to tell, but nobody really wants to come and listen to them. You know, like we're not really invited to the table like, you know, something that that you spoke about earlier, Stacy, before we started this interview, that, you know, maybe people don't know or understand our experience as well and and we are um you know like you said we are often um stereotyped you know as hillbillies and overalls and um barefoot and whatever and and our music is stereotyped that way but but we have things to say and so if nobody's going to invite us to the table to talk about them then maybe it's that we sing about them and um you know music historically has always been a way to, to get the word out, um, to warn people about, I mean, there were about disease or, um, you know, to talk about social issues. And so I think that, I don't know, maybe that's, that's why we have such a strong, you know, good musical um, vibe going here. You know, it continues. We're still frustrated people who have things to say, and, and maybe this is the only way we can get them to listen.
2: Yeah. And I think that it speaks to just how Appalachians are in general, Uh, you know, because there hasn't always been a seat for us at the table. And so um, if you look back through history, there have been multiple instances where we have made ourselves a seat at the table. And so we're a very resilient group. And um, I think that the local music scene um, from your account and I'm sure from many other accounts um, is no different.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, one thing that you mentioned is that, you know, there's not this super harsh focus on genre anymore. And I mean, I've even seen, you know, we've been going to music festivals for I don't know how many years now, but, you know, just from the beginning, when we went to that first Rudy Fest, I mean, I know that's a different type of festival, but I feel like to me, it's, there's been a transition just in the past few years from, you know, pretty exclusively folk and bluegrass to this kind of meld of, all kinds of different genres and types of music at different festivals, because you kind of do see that melting away of just, you know, whatever, you know, you you may not sing, you know, folk or bluegrass or Americana music, but you know, the message you're sharing and and the, you know, the the meaning behind your music falls in line with, you know, the the spirit of these other genres and these other artists. And so, I mean, I think about, you know, the contrasts that we saw, you know, a few years ago, um with like you've got Jocelyn and the sweet compressions right after laid back country picker, you know, and it's like you, mm-hmm. you can't you don't have two more like polar opposite genres of music, but they're both, you know, talking about similar things and it's just this cool kind of culture where, you know, the audience and the people who show up to these festivals or these shows they just want to hear music and they they're supportive and and there's not this you know kind of genre isolation that I think there used to be you know associated with artists in Appalachia and in eastern Kentucky it's kind of broadened and I think it's really cool to kind of see you know how people tell the same story with different voices and different sounds and I I think that's pretty cool um but I don't know if you noticed that or or that's something that I've just kind of made up in my mind.
1: (laughs) No, you're right. And, you know, to, to the backstory, Michael and I've attended a lot of music festivals together, um, (laughs) going back quite a few years, um, to, you know, straight bluegrass festivals, um, old time music type thing to much more progressive music festivals. And yeah, I mean, Jocelyn's The Sweet Compression is a band that, you know, really, impresses me they're they're so straight, you know, soul um, blues type of band that yeah they're they're out there playing festivals with, yeah, with um you know bluegrass or Americana artists. I think the thing that ties it all together is a lot of festivals around here anymore. It's all Kentucky artists because mm-hmm. we don't we don't need to bring in people from you know, eight states away or from another country to bring good music to us. We've got it right here. And so if nothing else, even if it's different genres, they're, they're all Kentucky artists together. So, you know, we have that. I mean, you certainly still have your straight strict bluegrass festivals and um, you know, those are great too, but we sure have so many more of these types of um, music festivals that are more open. I, I hope, (laughs) I look forward to the day to get getting back at those.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And I mean, I think that now we're seeing this concentration of Kentucky artists, you know, before we were pulling folks from Virginia and Tennessee and, you know, really all across the country and the world, like you said. Um, But I think one thing that has changed is the people who come to the festivals, I think. And, And maybe like you said, it's just a difference in, you know strictly bluegrass festivals and these kind of mixed genre festivals, but I feel like for me i've I've noticed a shift in in the demographic mix of people who you know come to our Kentucky music festivals and to come and come to you know shows in Appalachia because I think most people think about bluegrass festivals and they think about you know old white people sitting in their lawn chairs tapping their feet, but it's really kind of. Uh, an interesting mix of of folks who who come to these shows now where it's, you know, you've got the the hippie scene and you've got just, you know, normal run of the mill folks. And so, um, how have you seen, I guess that demographic shift? Have you seen that in the past few years or from your experience playing shows?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, going back to when I was in college and, um, my husband Charlie which we were we were just buddies at that time that could be a whole other podcast you could do but uh we uh we would go to bluegrass festivals and um you know because we loved the music so much and we'd sit and look around and we were the only young people there like everybody there were our grandparents age and we were like what's wrong with us are we really weird people like why are we here and no one else we you know, we really know is doing this sort of thing, but now you go to bluegrass festivals and you you do see all ages, and and it's, yeah. I mean, for lack of a better term, it's not just old white folks anymore. <laughs> that's I I don't know. I feel I feel kind of bad about saying that, but
0: um, no, But I mean, I think that's that's an important thing that you know we've in our Appalachian Studies classes we've learned, and and this even goes back to the artists, but you know, oftentimes there's this tendency to kind of erase like people of color and and you know diverse populations and marginalized populations from Appalachia because people have this you know whitewashed idea of, of the area and and obviously you know we always admit that yeah uh, the the vast majority of people in Appalachia are you know white anglo-Saxon Protestant folks but you know there's an emerging demographics of people that you know popular culture and and you know accounts from folks just erase and so it's important you know to to recognize that it's not just that you know there there is you know a mix of people here in the region and um, productive well, people you know.
1: yeah and 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 the music itself, our instruments, you know, they didn't come from here. the banjo came from Africa, you know the mandolin came from Italy, the the fiddle came from you know Ireland, so we we, we can't lay claim uh, and and say that you know indeed. The, you know, the father of bluegrass music, Bill Monroe, is, is from Kentucky. And, and this this style of music and this genre started here. But the instruments, you know, we didn't come up with those. Mm-hmm. Um, and there has been, you know, I think great strides and changes made in, in bluegrass music in in recognizing, you know, fans of all ages, shapes and colors. I mean, you have, um, I'm, I'm not going to get this terminology right, but there's uh, in Boone, in Boone, Virginia, West Boone in Virginia, North Carolina, Boone, North Carolina. Okay. There's, um, there's, a an, an African, um, banjo convention every year. And, and out of that have come, um, came the band, the Carolina chocolate drops, you know, which was an all African American old time bluegrass band. Um, and so, um, you know, and you have Amethyst Kia and, um, you know, several other Rhiannon Re, and Giddens came out of that, the thing in Boone. Um, so, you know, some really great musicians that that have, you know, pushed past those barriers or or gone back to their roots, so to speak. So, um, that's a really good thing. And I, I think too that, you know, you Michael, you and I've been to the International Bluegrass Music. Association conventions. Think about that. International Bluegrass Music Association. So people literally from all over the world come to the United States. It's been in Nashville. It's now in Raleigh, North Carolina, just to be with other bluegrass musicians and to jam together and learn together and play together. So why is it, you know, we have people, um, people in Japan have loved bluegrass music since, since the fifties, um, people in Russia, you know, people in other countries, maybe they're marginalized as well. I don't know. And also a lot of kids, you know, young children more and more are grasping onto bluegrass. And you see these little kids singing lyrics that, you know, they don't understand, you know, I'm sitting on top of the world. What, you know, Hey, Hey, Della why do you treat me this away? I think kids are marginalized too. Like, I think these are all maybe people who feel like nobody's listening to me. So I'll sing it, which goes back to what I was saying before about, you know, our kind of music. But I think even people from other countries who might not even speak English, but they hear bluegrass music. They hear the music from our area and something about it touches them inside. Um, And I think it's the emotion. We have so much emotion in our music. Mm-hmm. Even if you're not playing bluegrass, I'll go back to Tyler Childers. My goodness, how much emotion is in his voice when he sings? And we we can relate to that. We feel that even if it's not a genre that we might particularly that might be our first choice, um, even if we don't like the lyrics or understand the lyrics, we 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 feel that emotion, and, and that's something that you know we have in our music that a lot of other styles of music don't have and you don't have even have to be the best singer you know to um, to to be able to still convey and you know have other people um you know get your message and enjoy it so i i think uh back to the question about genres and at festivals um i just think um you know we're just seeing more and more people come together no matter where they're from the music but then too i think back and i don't know woodstock was like one of the first big music festivals and there were many genres there you know there was Mm -hmm. there was funk and there was folk and there was blues and rock so you know it's it's kind of that framework has been laid in place we just maybe have been more exclusive about it like with bluegrass festivals and now we're coming back around and you know good music's good music (laughs) if you really love music then then i think you know the rest of it falls by the wayside
2: amen honestly
0: uh so shifting yeah yeah i mean no just one thing I, i think it's cool that you mentioned you know younger people kind of pushing their way into, a, you know, a scene and, and specifically with bluegrass that was mainly, you know, older generations of folks. And I think a lot of that has to do with this kind of, you know, emerging culture of kind of this, this renewed, like, pride and interest in Appalachia and in, in the region. And I think, we, you know, a lot of times younger folks catch flack for, wanting to leave and, and, you know, only wanting to get out. But I think that, you know, just in my experience at UK and, 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 you know, meeting folks like Stacy, I think that there's a, like a shifting tide of, of young folks from the region who really are kind of owning their, you know, heritage and, and, you know, the, the place that they're from. And I think that there's a desire to kind of explore the culture and, and to become, you know, part of, you know what used to be like these niche elements of of Appalachian culture, which I guess that bluegrass isn't niche at all. It's you know a staple. But you know for young people it was because it was seen as like a a space for old folks. You know people who pick on their back porch like they did in the good old days. You know, but I think that young people are seeing this. You know, music is is a cornerstone of the identity, and I think that they're trying to kind of find their way and and make that their own. And I think it's encouraging that that young people are, are interested in, and want to be part of, you know, that culture because I think as more people buy into the uniqueness and the and the just awesomeness, for lack of a better word, of, of Appalachian culture and, and you know, how truly unique it is, I think that that's gonna encourage more people to be proud of being from the region and and being able to say, you know, I've I've picked with this band and this player and you know, I'm only 15 years old, right? And you seen really young people and people you've played with, you know, who've, who've played in all kinds of shows. So I think that, you know, young people's interest in, in local music and in bluegrass and in folk and in these Appalachian genres is encouraging and, it, you know, makes me excited for hopefully for, for folks to stay around and, and to kind of contribute to, to the region and make it better. But um, I think that's interesting that you've noticed a, an uptick in, in young people participating.
1: Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah.
2: And it can never do us any harm to have more young people have pride in coming from Appalachia. So I think that we've seen an uptick in that as well, which is great. Um, So shifting gears a little bit, obviously music is a giant part of your life. Um, You're an encyclopedia, you're a musician, um, but it's arguably not your main gig. So tell us about the Appalachian College of Pharmacy and your experience with Transitioning into a faculty role after years of clinical work.
1: Okay, yeah, I have to have a day job to pay for my bluegrass habit, is what I always say. <laughs> there you
0: go.
1: <laughs> so, um, yeah, so the Appalachian College of Pharmacy, um, like I said, it's in a little tiny place in Buchanan County, Virginia, Oakwood, Virginia, uh, and um, it's been a really nice um, progression for me. Uh, I'm still learning how to teach. Um, But, um, you know, and I I miss patient interaction and and clinical work, but working with students every day um, has been, you know, uh, really an an enjoyable experience for me. Um, We have a a really, really unique um, and diverse population of students, and that's made it really um, exciting for me. Um, we're a three-year program, so most colleges of pharmacy, almost all colleges of pharmacy in the nation, including the one at UK, are is a four-year program um, to get your Doctor of Pharmacy. Uh, we offer that degree uh, in an accelerated program in three years. So we go year-round. We have very short breaks, and students graduate and can get in the workforce a year earlier. So what what that means is we we tend to attract um, a lot more. Um, Uh, non traditional students, um, maybe some older students and a lot of international students, Um, those who may have spent years trying to, um, you know, do what they needed to do to become US citizens um or have you know come over here and and maybe had to leave their families behind and be displaced here but they're you know working toward their degree and it it takes them a bit longer and so you know they're not really interested in a four-year program and spring break and all that they just you know (laughs) they want to get their degree and and be done so as a consequence you know we we have a really diverse population of students and it's been the most beautiful thing to see and i've learned so much about other cultures and they've learned about our culture so you know we we have we definitely have a population of east kentucky students also the class of 2021 probably has maybe a a fourth to a third of their class is our eastern kentuckians our class size is maybe about 70-some students per class, and we're a private, standalone school, so very small, very knit. We even have our own cat at the school, I mean, that just, like, lives there. It's very, very sweet, um, but uh, we have students from Nigeria, Cameroon, Ghana, Ethiopia, um, Myanmar, parts of India, and then throughout the United States, California, Seattle, you know, and they come to this little town. Tiny place where there is absolutely nothing to do. There's nowhere to go out and eat. There's nowhere to shop. But that's good because in an accelerated program, you don't need any distractions. You know, they're they're in class all day and need to need to study twenty four seven. They've been able to find the beauty of the area. The the Breaks in our state Park is not too far from them, and so some of them have taken up hiking for the first time and that sort of thing. Um, and I've loved to to see the way, you know, you you all know this because you know and love Appalachia, but we're a very, very welcoming people, you know, by nature. Well, we, we can be and a lot of
0: people don't think that. You know, I mean can, a lot of people we
1: think perceived as stand option, certainly, you know, I mean I think I listened to one of your other podcasts and talking about how people, you know, won't let you in until they know like who your people are and this and that. But we're also a very welcoming and friendly people. You know, you, you go in the store and people just talk to you, you know, to, our students from New York can't believe that they can go on Walmart and people will just talk to them. So, you know, I've loved to see the way, especially the churches in that area have opened their doors, like to our international students. Um, and have them come and join their choir you know for the next three years these little old ladies are cooking dinner for these students they make them a cake at graduation and you know a lot of them are here and they haven't they haven't seen their mom or their family in, you know maybe seven eight years and so they're kind of alone and to to be able to you know for the community to have opened been so open and welcoming to them I've loved seeing that um it's been uh and it's it's really a beautiful experience
0: there. that's awesome. and I think it's it's cool to to hear it from you know someone's perspective that works pretty daily with international students and with folks from outside the region to know that you know they have that perception and they actually see that welcoming nature of of the area because like you said, you know, and like we've discussed before, some people are are standoff to you know quote unquote outsiders, but you know I think that we've said it before, once you're here for. The shortest amount of time you become, you know, part of the people, you know, and and I yeah. think that it's it's interesting to see these small communities welcome the, you know, most polar opposite, you know, people from you know different walks of life as them, um, you know, as their own, and, and it's cool to hear that that's a similar experience that your students have had. Um, but you know, more on the college of, you know, the college of pharmacy there and uh, at the Appalachian. Uh, College of Pharmacy. So obviously, you do normal, you know, the, the pharmacy curriculum, but is there a focus on Appalachian studies or, you know, how, you know, pharmacy in, is in practice in Appalachia and, and the unique components of, you know, the the discipline in a region like Appalachia? Um, and even outside of that, just kind of a the, the culture on campus related to you know Appalachian culture or or Appalachian issues how does what's the interplay of you know all that I, obviously your students have a, a lot going on in the condensed program but does the college try to incorporate you know different elements of Appalachian studies
1: yeah absolutely we have um, one of our elective courses is called um, Appalachian health disparities um, Dr. Todd Carter he's from Hazard actually Stacy. Um, he works at the primary care center there a lot of us faculty live offside, and and he's also a University of Kentucky grad. So Dr. Carter does um, that elective, and he talks to students about um, disease states unique to our area, the Melungeons. Well, that's not a disease state, but, um, you know, people, who, who are unique to this area. So Melungeons, the blue people of Kentucky, you know, they, they do a section on um, black lung. And then also, you know, the, the health disparities that we do have, we d- you know, we do have a prevalence of obesity, diabetes, cardiovascular disease in this area. So um, that's a great elective that students can take. We have um, an Appalachia Day. So we on Appalachian Culture Day, I've gone in and played music and I've clogged for them and brought other musicians in. We have soup beans and cornbread and you know wheat so all these other students can really learn about our culture and we we spend the day we we teach them about you know the the musical influences the Stanley brothers and um you know Bill Monroe, the Osborne brothers and that sort of thing. Uh but uh also you know, we turn the tables and we have, um, a cultural, um, diversity world diversity day. Um, we have a a diversity task force group of students and they, um, put that together. So we come together in a similar fashion, but we have, um, you know, students who can highlight their cultures so they can wear their traditional garments. They will make food, you know, so we may have, um, you know, tea that our students who are from India like to make and drink when they study. And, you know, a really good chicken coconut curry that I remember one of our Asian students made that I would love to have right now. And, you know, so they, they bring, you know, and share with us their culture and their food. Um, they do some PowerPoints and talk to us about, you know, the, the, the sports teams or, or whatever's, um, you know, popular, in their culture and we also even at that while everyone has their booths and their tables set up about their countries you know we we have an Appalachian booth as well you know that's it's a culture and we emphasize that that it's it's this is our culture as much as that's your culture and so you know we learn about them from each other and that is very fun um it's um it's really interesting to hear students you know ask what soup beans are and they don't understand and are a little bit afraid to try um also i have uh i can't believe the school lets me do this really but i've i've developed a music and medicine elective and i've done that for three years that course is going on right now and um so we talk about uh music as it relates to medicine um, or musicians who have certain disease states. So, um, you know, B.B. King, the great blues guitarist, had diabetes. Well, how much more difficult is it for him to check his blood sugar multiple times a day and prick his fingers when he's trying to play guitar, for instance? And so, um, you know, just we, we I, I try to meld those two to help students have better ways to remember, you know, why, why certain drugs are used the way they are. Um, And we, in that we focus too a lot about disease states that might have um, a certain stigma attached or um, certain sociological aspects. So HIV, there, there are a lot of, a lot of songs that have been written about HIV um, because it's not something people want to talk about. Um, So they'll sing about it, or at least they, especially early on. In, in the history of that disease um, so we talk about that um, depression um, daryl mcdaniels from run dmc you know was, has been very public about his depression and so we talk about how how that relates um, glenn campbell still made an album even though he was you know experiencing alzheimer's and so we talk about all that but what's interesting from um, I, an appalachian perspective is uh, we have a, a pretty good section on uh, black lung disease and mm-hmm. pneumoniconiosis. So, students learn about that disease. Um, and it's, there have been some really interesting mm-hmm. dialogues that have come out of that. Because, again, when I have students who are not from this area, they don't know or understand what black lung disease is. And so, um, we had a discussion in the class last year where, you know, we talked about the negative effects. Uh, of black lung disease and how, how difficult it is for patients. They may end up on transplant lists and so forth. And so I had a student who was not American who said, well, if we're supposed to be um, as pharmacists proponents of good, good health, why don't we just tell people, don't be coal miners? (laughs) 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 It's bad for you. (laughs) You know, but that's where she was coming from. Just hearing us say the negative things about it, you know, and Mm -hmm. then I had, Several students who had to step up and say, "Well, sure, that might be great, but that's what puts food on our table." You know, I had quite a few students who had coal miners in their family, who are, whose parents were coal miners, and and it really opened up some dialogue that was almost uncomfortable at times, but needed to be discussed. And so, um, and a lot of the songs in with Black Lung talk about uh, the lack of medical insurance and you know the issues that our our folks you know have to go through just to try to get medical coverage and here's one other really cool thing that happened um out of that course uh, the final project is that i put students into bands they they don't get a choice but i try to you know pick out who i know might have some musical talent i put them together in a band their final project is they have to write a song or create a performance piece Create a music video, and it has to be relevant to health or medicine or um, or advocacy for health in that sort of respect. So one group, it ended up that of the four people I put together, three of them were uh, ladies whose fathers were coal miners here in eastern Kentucky, and so they wrote a beautiful song about black lung. and And one of those students, her father is actually the youngest person in Kentucky. Um, who's been diagnosed with black Lyme and, you know, most likely facing transplant at a very young age. And so, it's so very emotional. Um, they did this beautiful song. Um, out of that now they are a real band. <laughs> They're called the black dragons. They've been, invited- awesome. <laughs> I know they've yeah. been invited to, um, perform at, um, several, uh, Black lung support group meetings, and I play with them too. Um, And we went and played in Whitesburg last year, they unveiled a memorial for all the victims of black lung in the state of Kentucky, kind of like a military memorial, but you know, it has all the names etched in it. And we sang and played at that and did this song. And then um, we were contacted back in the fall by NPR, National Public Radio. Uh, to do a segment on all things considered about the song that the students had written. You know, we put a little video out and it kind of went viral and we've hit some snags in the road with that. It's, it's still, you know, going to happen, but I'm not exactly sure when now, but that's, that's been a really, really exciting thing I've been proud of with that. So, um, you know, you, you never know what, what can come out of a of a project like that. I wouldn't have dreamed, you know, that we would actually end up with a band and we would focus on, you know, black lung disease and, and try to help and perform for those
0: folks. Yeah, <laughs> I think that's, it, it's incredible to hear, you know, the use of music in that way because, you know, most people divorce the, you know, hard sciences with the you know liberal arts in so many cases but really i mean everything goes hand in hand in most cases and you know to hear that your students are gaining an understanding of things like black lung and these different cultural elements that are very much so related to health and and specifically related to health in appalachia and in the region it's cool to think that music has that much power that we don't always think about um especially you know you think about people who may have been listening to this music their whole lives, but really don't have any idea what it's about. You know, I mean, and I don't know, I know I'm guilty of that. I'll, I'll bop along to a song and, you know, think that, you know, a song is happy-go-lucky, but then when you actually listen to the lyrics, it's about somebody dying of this horrible, <laughs> awful disease. And, you know, yeah. you, it's, it takes that one aha moment to think, oh my gosh, like, <laughs> this is so sad. But really, it's, it's it's a way, like you said, to kind of, and I've heard you talk about this subject on different interviews you've done, but it's a way to kind of distribute information almost to people, or, or it was, you know, when when most a lot of the songs were written. Um, and I think what you said about HIV and, and AIDS was interesting that, and, and I think we see it in music, especially Appalachian music, with subjects that. People don't want to talk about. I know the, you know, songs about HIV weren't really exclusive to Appalachian or probably, you know, far from it, but you know, different elements of bluegrass and folk music, you know, they're they're kind of the main culprits of that, you know, upbeat song about killing your husband who cheated on your you know, it's like you, you hear that and it's like people do use music in a way to kind of to talk about those hard issues without actually you know, quote unquote, talking about them. And so I think it's interesting to see how that's kind of spun and, and delivered to, you know, pharmacy students as a way to to kind of track, you know, disease and and different health disparities, because it's, it's true. You know, people use music to talk about things that they can't just come right out and have a conversation about. Um, So it's interesting that your students have received that in a way that has kind of broadened their view of, of health. Uh-huh. And something like that we think is simple, you know, as music can can have that effect on somebody. I think it's it's really cool to to see how it impacts some of the hard science like pharmacy um, right. that you usually wouldn't think would you know pair well together. Um, but you know the class you talked about is incredible, and and I think that that's really interesting. But we've talked about um, another project that you and your students have kind of tackled um, to kind of continue merging that love of music and, you know, healthcare in the student organization ProMay. And we've had different conversations about this, but how, uh, tell us a little bit about that project and that organization and how, you know, your students have uh, taken that with, uh, you know, their unique perspectives and, and kind of made it their own.
1: Yeah. I'd love to talk about that. So um, ProMay is a new student organization. We started on our campus at Appalachian College of Pharmacy. Um, I guess about three years ago, uh, another student and I started it together and it was her idea. um, Kathleen Jean-Louis. She's now a a second year residency student in, uh, in, in Pittsburgh. No, not Pittsburgh, in, in Pennsylvania. Um, Philadelphia, she's in Philadelphia. So anyway, um, the idea was to meld, um, our love of the arts and find ways to use that for healing. So, um, we took the idea from, um, I don't know if y'all have studied, um, uh, a German theologian, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who, um, you know, who, who talked about how you shouldn't just profess your faith you should put it into practice and um, so we interpreted prome as as being that if you if you have a god-given talent you you should be compelled to it's kind of your duty to use that to help others so um, what we started was an organization where students who if you had um, you know, if you were good at uh, any kind of, of visual art, if you're if you're good at drawing, you're good at crafts. If, if you are a dancer, if we have a DJ, we've had hula hoopers, um, you know, any kind of creative thing that you like to do. And um, we schedule events and organize events where we go to nursing homes, assisted livings. Um, we've gone to the re- remote area medical clinics. We've gone to... Um, orphanages, we've gone to the hospital to um, certain floors and provide entertainment for patients. So um, we might bring uh, art supplies in and sit and help a a patient draw a picture or um, a resident of a nursing home draw a picture that they can you know maybe give to a grandkid or um, you know just come and play music, go sit at the bedside and play music, walk up and down the halls and play music, Um, bring tambourines and let everybody play along. I mean you know that uh, the options are endless, endless on what you can, what you can do, um, for our students, it provides a creative outlet, you know, if you, if you kind of have that in you, and then you're in, like you say, a hard science program, you don't get a lot of opportunity for that, so that creates a creative outlet, but we also found, um, that that, you know, kind of ins- helps instill empathy, um, and a good bedside manner early on, because, uh, in these, events you're getting to interact with patients much sooner than you might have been able to, you know, um sometimes you don't interact with patients until you know your third year and you go out on your clinical rotations. But um, you know, in your first year you can be in an assisted living or a nursing home and talking to, to people and um, you know, kind of learning how to communicate maybe with elderly or disabled folks. And um um we've uh let's see we found that um well I, I i had a actually just kathleen and i just had a paper published about that and about
0: um, yeah congratulations that's thank awesome you,
1: yeah in um american journal of pharmaceutical education but um the the organization is not just open to those with uh creative talent it's open to anyone because you know it doesn't you don't have to be able to sing or play to Hug or hold someone's hand, or just be an ear to listen. And then you know, we the organization is structured where we need people who are good at finances and can you know uh, do fundraising for our art supplies and whatever. So uh, there's that part of it, and uh, we're we are a nonprofit uh, organization now. Um, we have future sites on um, getting that organi- organization out to other um, campuses maybe University of Kentucky would be interested in starting a chapter. So, um, you know, it, it's not just for, uh, we kind of geared it toward medical professional programs, but it's certainly not, doesn't specifically have to be that, um, or maybe an Appalachian group would want to start such a program, but um, we have the, the structure and the framework in place. And, you know, um, our patients or, or kids or whoever we do superhero day, you know, all these things we do, do you know, they get a lot out of it. Um, we, we go and brighten other people's days, but it's amazing for our students to say what they get out of it and, you know, what it does for them to, you know, begin to see how community service and helping others, how it helps you as well. So that's a, that's a project I've been, you know, really, really proud of. And, you know, we're just in the beginning stages still of this organization. And I think it's going to be Pretty exciting to see where it goes. That's awesome. Yeah, I've
0: loved hearing about. No, go ahead, Stacey.
2: I, I was just going to say that um, whenever me and Michael were first kind of, you know, spitballing about who we wanted on the podcast and he brought you up and he told me about that, um, I thought that was really interesting and something that I was super excited to hear. Thank
0: yeah, you. I, it's. I've always loved hearing you talk about, you know, this this project and this organization. And it kind of goes back to the you know same thoughts I shared earlier about how people think that you know these the hard sciences can't be that the, what you know how do you how do you bring you know the liberal arts or, or music or you know creative expression into the you know a hard science like pharmacy, but it's cool that you know your publication shows that there's direct evidence that this you know enhances the student experience and makes for better pharmacists, and it's like you know there's there's evidence to show that this is beneficial for students and and i hope more you know clinical programs and and pharmacy programs different colleges jump on that bandwagon because um you know the information that's in in your article is is really interesting and and kind of shows that and i know one of the main themes is you know like the, the idea of empathy and how you know i think today we hear, you know, stories of clinical programs wanting to recruit students from the soft sciences, you know, they they want students who have, you know, that personal ability, that personal approach, because, you know, for the longest time, your, you know, test scores and, and your, you know, GPA or what got you into these clinical programs. And I think a lot of programs saw that, you know, the students they were recruiting didn't always have the best interpersonal skills. And so, I think this is a, a, a cool commentary on that to say, well, you know, even if, even if they don't express that immediately, or even if we've recruited someone who, who may not, you know, have that innately, I think that this experience can help. Even like you said, students who don't have, you know, some type of talent or, or artistic you know ability can help them, you know, associate with folks who, who do have, who do operate on that side of the brain, you know, and, and can kind of build that empathetic, Pathway with folks, and so it's interesting to see that you know music and art and things like that are making an impact on people's ability to perform and to succeed in something like pharmacy.
1: Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, there there are plenty of publications out there that prove you know the the Mm -hmm. healing properties that that music and the arts can have. And you're right. You know, I mean, there there even folks get degrees as music therapists now. Yeah. And, and we're finally appreciating the importance of the arts. I think it's being appreciated more now, you know, with everything that's going on in the world and we're realizing that we miss, you know, we maybe have taken for granted the opportunity to to enjoy the arts, going to shows, going to museums and looking at artwork and that sort of thing. And, you know, and it's being recognized now. And, um, you know, hopefully people are being more mindful and, you know, Putting some money in those Venmo tip jars online if you're watching artists that can't get out and perform <laughs> these days. Mm-hmm. But I think that, um, you know, we're, I'm glad that we're starting to um, appreciate the arts more uh, mm-hmm. in our um,
0: world. I think we, we, Stacy and I talked about what would the, theme of this episode be or what would we be talking about? You know, I just, I knew you had incredible stories to share and really cool experiences to share with people. But, you know, I think overall, you know, your, your kind of path and, and your creative outlets with your profession and, and your ability to, you know, come back and, and have this incredible professional and personal experience in Appalachia is a testament for people who are worried, you know, about being able to make it or being able to, you know, have a a strong professional career you know in a place that seems like there's no way to advance but I think that you know when people hear stories like yours and the the cool projects you get to work on you know people don't think about that When when they think about home they think about the you know job loss rate and the you know brain drain and they think about all the the negative things but you know we have really awesome professionals like you and like other people that you work with there at the College of Pharmacy even that are here and are having just incredible experiences and changing people's lives every day and so for me it's encouraging to think that you know that there there is something really unique and special about the area and about the region and you know you just kind of have to find your find your niche and 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 make it what you can but it's it's cool to think that people are coming from all over the world to, to have this unique experience, this unique, you know, Appalachian experience. Um, yeah, it's, it, it's cool to know that people can, can combine, you know, their, their passions with their profession.
1: You you have to be cr- creative to be able to do that. But I mean, like you, you've got to, I would give this advice to anybody. I mean, you, you just have to find ways to make it happen. I mean, uh, you know, I love music and I love to play. I just had to find ways to, to meld that in. And like I say, I said, let me do an elective that combines music and medicine. And somebody said, okay, you know, let, let me start an organization here. A pharmacy students doing something with the arts. Okay. I mean, you don't know until you try. And so, um, you know, you just, you can certainly create your own opportunities. And and like I say, coming back here, I think I've had even more opportunities. And I think you guys have talked about that in your podcast as well, that um, there might be even a greater opportunity for advancement and creativity here than in other parts of the world.
0: Yeah. And really the individual, like, a way to individualize your experience, you know, because if you weren't in a place like Appalachia that you know, cared as much about the arts and had that strong personal and cultural connection to music and into and, and the arts, you know, a, a project like this or a class like you proposed might not go over so well somewhere else. And so it's, it's cool to think that, you know, you can really create this individualized experience in a place because it, it puts a focus on things like that. So yeah, sure. it's cool.
2: yeah. yeah, absolutely. And speaking of cool projects, um, Now is the point in the podcast where we kind of want to give you a chance to plug any cool projects that you're working on or kind of under wraps or just anything that you, you know, want to plug, whether that be music or pharmacy or any other creative or professional projects you want our listeners to know about.
1: All right. Um, Thanks for asking about that. Um, Had Had we not be going through a pandemic right now, I could have given you a very long list. (laughs) Both bands that I'm in had uh, quite a few really cool shows planned for the spring and the summer um, that are on hold. Um, Pro May events, events with that organization, obviously on hold for the most part because we cannot visit schools and nursing homes and hospitals right now um we're trying to work on some other creative ways to do that so you know and i'm teaching online which is a new experience uh just for me as much as i know it is for you guys having to be students online i think our students have risen to the challenge um and uh we're all becoming a little more tech savvy every day (laughs) with this um so you know as far as um playing music i've I'm not a solo performer by any means, but, um, I've kind of been forced to be, I did a little home concert here for my neighborhood a couple of weeks ago, uh, set up and played out in front of my house and invited people to come by and sit six feet apart. And, uh, that was pretty fun. Um, it actually, it actually got our neighborhood together. A lot of us didn't know each other. I'm never home, so I didn't know my neighbors, but, We've we're we're all sitting <laughs> sitting in this neighborhood together and, and gave everybody a chance to come out and say, Now who are you and who are you? And so, you know, some good came out of that. Um I actually uh, the I guess the main thing I would plug that I have coming up is there's a television show that's filmed at uh the Mountain Arts Center uh, in Prestonsburg that's called uh CMH twenty three or country music highway twenty three. And uh we've been invited to perform on that. So I actually had a rehearsal with my bandmates last night. It's the first time we've rehearsed since, um, before all of this madness and we stood six feet apart and rehearsed outside. And, uh, so we'll go in on Wednesday and instead of it being a music show where we would have all shared the stage and indeed sat right next to each other and shared songs, we'll now stand six feet apart one band at a time. Um, And uh, film it that way, similar to how the Grand Ole Opry is doing right now. I understand. So um, watch for that. You know, CMH 23 is um, uh, on YouTube and and Facebook. And, um, you know, that's a group that you can follow. And um, there's a radio show as well. So, you know, another way to listen to and discover a lot of great Appalachian artists that you might not have been aware
0: of. Awesome, we'll be sure to link that. Um, when we upload the, the each show, we have a little resource list below that we like to put information in for folks to to click through and, and to, to read about. So we'll definitely make sure to include that if you can send us a link for um, the show.
1: I will, and I'll send you our uh, ProMay website as well. Yes,
0: for sure. Awesome, well Stacy, you have anything else?
1: I'm good.
2: Um, Chris, it's been a pleasure um, getting to meet you virtually and wish it was in person, but this will do for now, I guess. Um, yeah, just thank you for your time and, you know, being here on a Saturday morning. We really appreciate it. And you have so much cool stuff going on, uh, really. I'm super impressed, obviously. And um, let me know what it's like to be talented. So, thanks. <laughs>
0: my favorite quote of stacy's my favorite quote of stacy's is that if uh god had given her the ability to play the harmonica she would be way too powerful
2: i mean and i think that he knew that so that's why i can't play the harmonica very well that's my reason
1: it's the best excuse i've ever heard i think (laughs) (laughs) i like that well i'm I appreciate what you guys are doing and um and highlighting Appalachia in such a positive light. You know, we we need so much more of that and um I don't as as the teacher that I am I, I would give I always have advice that I want to give to those out Wait
0: applicants.
1: on us. Um, Absolutely. You know, I I've thought a lot about this just in listening to your podcast and I I just would want to remind people that you know, this is one of the most unique. I think we live in one of the most unique places in the United States, maybe the world. You know, and we should be proud of that, um, and let that be something that defines you in a good way, and um, doesn't define you in, in the stereotypes that that you might not like. Support your hometown. Come back to it if you can. Um, help help East Kentucky and Appalachia be viable and be the good place that you you love but also you know i always say to my students that hard work pays off and if you know if you want anything in this life or you want this life to be what you want it to be you have to work hard for that and it doesn't come easy but i think as appalachians you know th- this part of the country was was built by people who had grit and determination so i think it's in our dna So you, you already have that in you. I think we have an advantage in that, you know, we're not soft people. (laughs) And so, uh, there's, you know, there's no reason on earth why you can't, you know, take that, that you have in you and, and be successful with it, you know, and find ways to do what you love and listen to more banjo.
0: (laughs) Amen. Amen to that. Yes. All right, and now is the part of the show where Stacey and I do our tacky sign-off. It's a little more difficult <laughs> in Zoom land, but we try to make it work.
2: We try it every time, and our listeners probably hate it, but that's okay.
0: All right, well, I guess that's a wrap on Episode 7 of the Hollerback Podcast, and actually my last episode on Hollerback. Stacey will be uh, carrying the torch forward next year. Um, with who's who's kicking me off here, Stacy?
2: Um, Billy Debricks. He is from Billy Joe. Kentucky. Billy Joe Debricks the uh, second. You can't forget that too at the end. So
0: what a guy! What a guy! We love him. Well, <laughs> listeners, it's been great. I've enjoyed getting to talk with you guys. Um, but I'm Michael, and I'm Stacy, and we will. Holler at you later. <laughs> <laughs>